Hey, this is Pete Bauer from the Pete Bauer blog. Thanks for joining us today. I have, as always, my daughter, Dorothea Bauer. How are you? I am excellent. How are you? You're excellent? I'm excellent. Today, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about the independent publishing or writing community and also about some audiobook stuff. But one thing I wanted to start off with, and we may have covered this a little bit in our previous podcast, but it occurred to me a few days ago that a lot of the tactics that we used when we started our film company are what independent writers are doing now. So when we started our film company, Sunlight Pictures, our original intent was to make some short films and to give them away for free. And that would establish name brand recognition and then lead the fans or consumers to invest in our future bigger work. And as I've studied all the different marketing techniques out there for independent publishing, that mirrors all the whole perma-free thing that is really big now. And I just think it's funny that the independent approach to competing against the traditional approach seems to be very similar in the arts no matter what, you know. The main difference, though, between what we were doing with our film company and what we're doing now is that it's actually possible to compete with other authors in this medium. Whereas if you don't have a big enough budget, there's no way you're ever going to be able to compete with Hollywood. You can tell some really personal stories, very intimate stories with a low budget. But unfortunately, when your competition is the Avengers, you're going to have a really hard time drawing an audience to something that is very small that you've done with very limited funds. No, you're right. I mean, if you look at independent film, most of them are the quirky kind, the road trip kind, the single location, two or three people kind. And that was one of the problems that we had in the Christian film arena is that you are competing with Hollywood, but your best case income for a standard Christian film, you're not going to make a lot of money, which means your budget has to be small which means that your talent levels aren't going to be as high, which means it's really difficult to compete. It's a collaborative art, which is the good part about it, but you don't control the making of the entire process. And you're right. With independent publishing, you are as good as your talent is. You can now outsource competitively book covers, editing, all that other stuff. Even traditionally published authors have to do their own marketing. So the good thing, and the reason I really like writing novels, and the reason I really wish I would have done this earlier, is that you can control every aspect of the production process. And like I know with Sunlight Press, that I'll have as much product as I can make. Where I have 15 years of screenplays that no one will ever read. I was reading a blog entry from Joanna Penn who went to the a London, I think it was a screenwriting conference or writing conference that had screenwriters. But in any event, a lot of the professional screenwriters had the exact same frustration. A lot of them get paid to write, but a lot of the stories they like the most will never see the light of day and no one will ever know them. So that's why I'm really excited about the publishing and the novel writing as opposed to the filmmaking. But it's interesting to me that a lot of the marketing aspects or the marketing challenges and the marketing approaches are very similar. Well, we were able to learn some very helpful lessons with Sunlight Pictures that we've been able to apply now with Sunlight Press and with the Gabby Wells story. And it's exciting to be able to have that opportunity. I remember when we were filming, we had this very basic lighting setup because we didn't have a lot of money to buy really nice lights. And we also didn't have the skill that lighting designers have. We just had some basic knowledge. And we looked at each other and we said, I cannot wait 
to actually be able to hire a lighting designer right. <laughs> to work on this project. That would be fantastic. And unfortunately, we were never able to reach that point. But the exciting thing about entering the world of literature is that you just have to write the lighting. You don't actually have to make it a reality. And the audience makes it a reality in their own mind. So being able to create that whole world without needing all of these extra people is, is very exciting when you are in a situation that you have to do it on your own. So we did learn some very important lessons through that whole journey. I'm very grateful for it. It was a lot of fun. And something that we touched on in a previous podcast was knowing your audience. And that was another lesson that we learned from our time with Sunlight Pictures as well, because one of our projects was actually picked up by a Christian video distribution company. And they put it in Christian stores all across the nation, but it really didn't reach the level of success that I think they were hoping for. It definitely didn't reach the level of success that we were hoping for. But the main reason behind that was because what we had created was designed with a very specific purpose in mind, and they did not sell it in that way. So that was one of the lessons that we took away from that was knowing your audience and also knowing what you've designed your work to be. When we've approached the Gabby Wells novels, We've taken all those lessons into account because what that distribution company wanted to do was to fulfill a niche that they wanted to explore in their distribution model. So they were trying to really fit a square peg into a round hole sort of thing. And we knew that with the challenges with Gabby Wells about the type of story we were writing and creating and the type of marketing we wanted, that it would be best suited if we did it ourselves, even though we did investigate traditional publishing. But the same problems existed there. Not a lot of experience in doing what we thought was best for the product. And so it just seemed like a wise idea that we would do it ourselves. But one of the things that is different, well, a little different, but much better in the independent publishing community is the generosity that other authors have with each other. But the reality is, especially with publishing, that you're not competing against anyone. So when I have reached out, for example, I reached out to Joanna Penn, for some feedback on some information and Nick Stevenson, both of which are very successful thriller writers, they were very responsive and gave really good feedback and guidance that many people would think, well, Pete, you're going to write a thriller. Isn't that in competition to what they're doing? But the reality is there isn't a competition in the publishing world. If I write a book that is a thriller and you write a book, Dorothea, that's a thriller, they're different characters, they're different everything, right? When I was looking at book cover designers, I would just search on Amazon and I was struggling finding book covers that kind of matched what I saw in my head the Gabby Wells novels would look like. And I finally found one and that was Nick Stevenson's Leopold Blake thriller series. And so I emailed him and I said, man, I love your book covers. Who does them? He not only told me who did his book covers, but he actually copied the designer in the email, and he's the designer that I'm using for the Gabby Wells books. And he's fantastic. And he is fantastic. So the fact that Nick was like, here's this author I've never heard from that hasn't written anything, who's asking me a question about something that's critical to the success of my work, and I'm going to give that resource to this guy. That's really amazing, and I, I can't think of another another industry that is nearly as open and supportive and generous as the independent publishing and independent authors seem to be, and it's really amazing. It really is very cool to be in such a supportive community. Well, and I think because of that, it really comes down to marketing. I've read a lot of independently published novels lately, even from people who are really successful, 
And I'm surprised that the quality of the writing isn't as high as I expected it to be. And that's not really a knock on the authors. There's a lot of times, even in traditionally published books, you'll read some books and go, how is this book so popular? Right. Mm -hmm. And then you'll read some books that are awesome. And you're like, how is this book not popular? Well, I do remember telling you when you were in a writing crisis with one of our Gabby Wells stories, the original ending for a book that is incredibly popular and it shall rename nameless as well as the author. But I told you, you know, Dad, the author actually had a very different ending in mind. And I detailed that whole original ending compared to the ending that was published and told him how the editor actually sent an email back saying, I can't tell if you're joking or not. (laughs) Yeah. So it's important to get feedback. And it's understandable that every writer, no matter how successful they are, sometimes has has their moments where not every seed is golden. And so that did help me when I was writing because I was like, well, if this person who's uber successful thought that was a good idea, the process itself can be bumpy. But what's also interesting is that just the nature of consumerism is very fickle at times. I mean, you could argue that the Breaking Dawn books and the whole Twilight books and what have you probably aren't as well written as some others, or like the Fifty Shades of Grey, which I haven't read. But the reviews, there's a ton of them, and a lot of people like it, but the general dislike is how poorly the book is written. And that's a pretty consistent complaint. So the subject matter is titillating enough, but the actual quality of the writing is not. And so when I've read these very successful independent books, some better written than others, I just realized that, you know, at the end of the day, it gave me two things. One, I'm confident that my writing is actually better than a lot of what I've read. And I'm not trying to be cocky. I'm just confident in that. But the other thing is that it really does come down to marketing. It really does come down to finding your audience It comes down to communicating with them, to somehow taking your work and showing the value to their life that your work provides for them, and then making as much of that work then available as possible. And that's how these people of varying levels have become so popular and successful. It really doesn't matter how you tell the story as long as it's compelling and as long as people enjoy it. Some of these independently published books, the problems I've had with some of those is that I lose trust in the author. If the logic doesn't make sense if the characters make a bad decision, things like that. A book I recently read was kind of frustrating in the sense that they're escaping an assassin or a bad guy, killer guy, whatever. And they just narrowly escape this person, but then they stop to do something that can be done when they get somewhere. If you barely escape this person that's still hunting you, you wouldn't stop running. You'd keep running and whatever is important plot point wise for that moment can wait. Because that's where the logic and stuff just drives me nuts. And that's where, as a reader, you lose confidence in the writer. And I would like to challenge authors out there everywhere. Including me. Including you. (laughs) To write a heroic action figure that is not conveniently rich or has access to spy technology conveniently. Yes, I would also (laughs) challenge authors not to write. And we talk about this, especially with movie characters female characters that aren't secretly ninjas you know what i mean (laughs) they're all ninjas like as soon as it's amazing to me especially in film how all the female action heroes are super trained in all the arts and skills and whatever one of the great things for example in one of my favorite movies is rear window by hitchcock and one of the things i love about that and good writing does this is that whatever the trade of the main character is, they have to utilize that in the most critical moments. 
in the movie Rear Window, James Stewart is a photographer for magazines. And so at the most critical moment in the story, he's stuck, he can't get out, and he uses flashbulbs from his camera to blind the assailant. But what happens is you have these demure female characters that seem all normal. They're like a school teacher or a soccer mom or something that was actually an assassin or a spy that went rogue who's in hiding or whatever. And they never are just like, well, this mom's really good and she's a blue belt in Taekwondo, which is not that great. That would be really interesting (laughs) to me. You know what I mean? Well, and as someone who has studied martial arts for several years, not everyone is just gifted at it. Right. You know, there it's it's a very hard thing to master. And I trained for a very long time. And even when I had gotten my red belt, which was pretty high up there, my trainer came over and he's like, okay, so you really want to focus on this and do this and this and this. And he's just naturally gifted. And it's beautiful to watch. Yeah, he's amazing. But I looked at him and I said, yeah, what you just did does not help me at all because (laughs) you just did it and it was successful and fantastic, but I don't actually know how you did it. So then he'd have to break it down even further. And I had been studying for several years. So it is something that takes a lot of time and dedication. And that's not to say that characters can't have that. It's wonderful if that's part of their story. But there are also people, too, who the shape of their body does not naturally lean towards martial arts. I remember reading about a young woman who always dreamed of being a ballerina, and her body just didn't let her do that kind of dance anymore. But if she still had those skills, you know, maybe being really flexible or really light on her feet or any of that, that could be an interesting path to pursue. Yeah, and with Gabby Wells... There's certain things that she does she's naturally gifted at, but there's a lot of stuff she's really not good at. And she just attacks things. And sometimes she's successful and oftentimes she's not. And then she has to figure out how the hell to get out of that situation. But it's so frustrating, like you said, to read. I remember I was going through the books at Barnes & Noble and there's a new James Patterson novel and it was a young adult mystery thriller. And of course, it's what you said. This girl is the daughter of these uber-rich parents and has access to all these resources. Well, and I love, too, how in especially comic books, all the action figures are billionaire CEOs of companies that happen to have military contracts. And I would just like to clarify that just because a company has a military contract does not mean that they're making the whole tank. They're just making, like, part of the tank and sending it to the army. (laughs) They're not making the whole thing and storing it in their basement. So really, the billionaire Wayne Enterprises is really good at making buttons, right? (laughs) But not the whole thing. Or they're really good at making navigation tools or tracking devices or something along those lines but they would not just be top secret military technology would not just be in wayne enterprises basement you're right just because you're a billionaire that has military contracts doesn't mean you have stealth technology in the basement i understand why writers do it not just in novels but in movies it just gives you a lot of options You know, with Spider-Man, it's a normal kid who gets bitten and then becomes something else, right? Although then he becomes a ninja. Although I do love the Honest trailer for the new Amazing Spider-Man movie. They were talking about Andrew Garfield and his portrayal of Spider-Man. And you have the movie trailer voice guy, the deep, booming voice in a world. And he's saying things like, you have an attractive, athletic, smart loser because they always have they to always start are. at losers <laughs> and are. then they become heroes right yeah but i but just they're, they're, they are geeky attractive <laughs> yes. right 
and their athletics, even though, you know, they're geeky. Yes. And incredibly smart. Incredibly smart. Capable of working with PhDs without sure. a problem in high school. Right. They have it all together. The only problem is that the bullies in school don't think they're cool. Exactly. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> and I hope we do justice to what we're talking about is to create compelling characters that aren't superheroes in, you know, everyday clothing, but actually just people who have a very limited skill set and just try to work with the rest. Well, and if there is a character who's going to be a ninja, that's a really fascinating story because studying martial arts takes a lot of dedication and time and commitment and... That would be really cool to read about, but that should be part of the story. It shouldn't be just, oh, by the way, yes, I have surprise, skills. I'm a ninja. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's one of my pet peeves, I guess. How um, did we start talking about I this? I don't know, but I'm <laughs> sure it was a brilliant transition into something intriguing. Excellent. Well, let's do another one. Okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about today was audiobooks. So audiobooks is a growing market. It's something that independent publishers can do. There's a really good book by Simon Whistler called Audiobook for Indies, which I read, and it's an awesome primer. I suggest you you get a hold of it if you're at the point in your writing process that you want to put together an audiobook. And in that book, he talks about all the different ways that you can put together an audiobook. Either you can narrate it yourself, for example, you could hire a narrator. What are the different royalty splits or contracts that you would have with that? You can hire a company to do it for you. And some people do what are equivalent to like radio theater, kind of like what the old radio programs used to be. And I love those personally. And I've always thought that if I could, I would like to uh, do Gabby Wells novels in that radio theater thing. So there's some people who read books. They want their audiobooks to be just reading the written word. That's their preference. And that's the most common thing. But the way I look at it is audiobooks are a different medium. Just as taking a book and making it a movie, the movie invariably should be a little different because it's a different medium. To me, it's a waste not to take that audio medium and do something special with it. And I completely agree with that. I think that if you're going to listen to an audiobook, it should be an experience. It shouldn't just be someone else reading the story to you. When I listened to the Harry Potter audiobooks, I actually went and I looped the theme from Harry Potter in the background because I was listening to this story and I just kept thinking to myself, it's missing something. You know, what is it missing? And so I went and I, I listened to the music and I said, you can't have, especially given how successful those movies are and how much a part of my childhood they are, you can't have Harry Potter without Hedwig's theme. So I went and I looped the music and that's how I listened to the audiobook. It was so much more enjoyable to me to connect those two things together, even though they weren't sold that way. So I think that's an experience that we should create for our consumers. I agree. And so my thought is, at least at this point, that if I do an audiobook, I'd want it to be an immersive cinematic sort of experience. And because of that, I would like different cast members, different actors or voice actors, I should say, portray the different characters. I probably wouldn't create any audiobooks until all the books are written. Because from a production standpoint, you would just want to record all the dialogue for all the books by the actors all at the same time. And it should be noted, too, that if you are going to create a, quote, audiobook, unquote, in that format of cinematic storytelling, 
you're not going to read it the same way the novel is actually written. It's going to be more in a script format with sound cues and all of that stuff. So it's going to be more along the lines of radio theater than it is going to be an audio version of your story. And that can be really exciting. And I think we would really enjoy creating that. But it is important to mention that if it's not something you have experience with, it is a different form of writing that you have to be prepared for. Yes. And I'll give you two examples of um, this sort of audiobook. The first is a very old example. One of the things I, I love are old radio shows. And one of the things I used to listen to um, when I found online was a show from the 30s and 40s called Casey Crime Photographer. And it was sponsored by Anchor Hawking. And they had the most awesome commercials. They're a great name in glass. <laughs> That's the commercial. So what <laughs> That's I'll the do, commercial. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll play a little bit from that old radio show. And I'll include the Anchor Hawking commercial because the guy's awesome. It's just so over the top. The Anchor Hawking commercials are so fantastically awful that I actually went and purchased a measuring cup from Anchor Hawking solely because of that and brought it with me to college. And I would really love to make a bulk purchase of Anchor Hawking products at one point in my life, you know, when I moved to a new house or something like that, and I have to stock my kitchen full of things. I would love to just buy all of it from Anchor Hawking and have them take notice and send me a survey and say, wow, thank you so much for buying all of these products. Why? Did you buy all of these products and I could direct them back to a commercial from a radio show from the 1940s, which was awful. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a moment and we'll listen to a quick clip from Casey Crime Photographer. The Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation brings you Crime Photographer. <laughs> Casey, Miss Williams. Hello, Ethelbert. How are you? Look at this, a picture of my sister's kid. My married sister, of course. Hey, he sure is growing up, Ethelbert. Hmm. Oh, here comes Tony. Why don't you show it to him? Say, a fine-looking boy, Ethelbert. Yeah, and you know what? Already he can say Uncle Ethelbert. Uncle Ethelbert? Yeah. Well, well. But you know, the day I'll be excited is when he learns to say the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation is a great name in glass. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Marvin. Every week at this time, the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, and its more than 10,000 employees bring you another adventure of Casey Crime Photographer, ace cameraman who covers the crime news of the great city. Written by Alonzo Dean Cole, our adventure for tonight, The Mysterious Lodger. In a private office at police headquarters, a telephone rings. A big man in civilian clothes reaches for its receiver and... Homicide Bureau, Captain Logan speaking. Is this the place to report a murder? Uh, it is, lady. I think I got one for you. So here's a more up-to-date example. 
The audio Bible from Word of Promise is really, really good about a cinematic audio, and especially in Revelations, because there's a whole bunch of cool sound effects. So I'll play a little of that just as an example of what that's like. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thundering, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Well, and it is pretty cool, too, when the actor who played Jesus in The Passion is also voicing Jesus in the audio version of the Bible. Yeah, and here's a segment of that. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. So you can see the difference between the old style version, obviously lower technology, and it was actually done live, usually in front of an audience. And it was intended to be a radio show, not an audiobook. Right. But those are the kind of examples that you have of kind of what inspired me to think it would be really cool to create a cinematic audio version for the Gabby Wells books. If you want, by the way, if you want the Word of Promise audiobook, it's available by Thomas Nelson. You can get that online because it's pretty cool. That's kind of what I'm thinking with the audiobooks. So I had an idea to test that out because what I need to figure out is how long is that going to take? Like, what's the real production effort in putting something like that together? There's a story in my family, which I'm actually going to write an audio script for this story and recreate it. And my father, when he was a child, lived on the railroad tracks. His father worked for the railroad company in Peru, Indiana. And in October of 1933, John Dillinger, actually the gangster, stopped by my dad's house. And then the next day held up the Peru Police Department and stole all their guns. That's a cool little story in family history that I actually want to put together in an audiobook. No one in our family was killed. That's good. That's we should true. just clarify. Yes. All you said was that he stopped by the house. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say anything that happened after that, and I know you want it to be a surprise, but we should probably just clarify that our family members were still alive after. <laughs> no, it, right. They didn't know it was John Dillinger until the next day. And the circumstances related to him stopping by the house were were unique to the time period and so forth. So that'll be part of the audio story. But I thought that was a really good, small, quick story that I could try to find out how long it takes to record things, how long it takes to edit things, how long it takes to put together some sound effects, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to just try to see what that'll take. It's a very short story, but it'll be a good example to extrapolate the total work effort in putting together the novel series, because the novel series is expected to be nine novels, and I hope to have them all written by the end of 2016. Since it's only be like two years total, I don't think that's too much time between releasing the novel and then releasing an audiobook. 
that I think you'd still have traction from the novel sales. So anyway, that's my idea. I thought it'd be a cool little story to do. And, uh, and what's funny is on my wife's side, there's an Al Capone story. So there are several Al Capone stories. Yeah. Well, my, my wife's grandmother grew up in Chicago in the Italian section and, uh, was friends with relatives of the Capones. So we're good people. I promise. <laughs> well, it was a different time back then. <laughs> We've talked about two gangsters yes. and their relations but to they our weren't family. <laughs> personal friends of our family. We just had interactions with them. I'm sure we weren't the only ones. Anyway, so that's kind of my idea for audiobooks. Do you like it? I like it. I also like Anchor Hawking, a great name in glass. The amazing thing about those commercials, which we really shouldn't talk about because it's not relevant at all, but the thing that I... (laughs) But we're going to. (laughs) The thing that I enjoy so much about them is the first time we heard one, it was so ludicrous. It was just so bad that we were caught off guard, and then we just grew to love them. Well, and it, because the, the approach and the style is just so different now than it was then. Back then, entire shows were sponsored by these companies, whether it was Lucky Strikes or cigarette companies or what have you. So they weaved in just as bad now as you see on television shows where where the main character, in while they're searching or tracking someone in a car... It's a BMW, and they, they take time to show you the GPS features of BMW. And you kind of go, wow, that's kind of distracting. Product placement. Yes. So that's what they were doing here, except it's just so much more obvious. I, and to me, it's just, it's got to be tongue-in-cheek because it's it's just so over the top. It's entertaining. It is. So the last thing I wanted to talk about very quickly is that I've changed up the order of the books again. So I was originally originally going to do Neil and Prey first, Lost and Found second, Keys and Kingdoms, I may retitle that, third, and then Sins and Suicide fourth. But I decided to switch Sins and Suicide and Keys and Kingdom because at the end of Keys and Kingdoms, just Gabby gets to a realization in her life that propels and has direct effect in the next couple of books. So it just seemed more logical. It could have been the other way. But Sins and Suicide doesn't do as good of a job following that major thing in Gabby's life. So it was better to switch it. So I decided to do that. And I'll probably change my mind again. (laughs) But that's where we are right now. So that's about it, Dorothy. Do you have anything else? No. (laughs) Really? Yeah, that's it. Wow. I could talk some more about Anchor Hawking. (laughs) No, that's okay. I actually know very little about the company aside from those commercials. So I I hope that they're a good and upstanding company. They are. I mean, I was actually checked (laughs) online just the other day. Just in case. And no, they're cool. They've been around forever and they still sell glassware everywhere. I mean, gosh, they should pay us for this whole thing. We've been talking about them. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Playing like, you know, 60, 70 year old commercials. Anyway, so... That's what we talked about this week, about the generosity of other writers, about ludicrous, convenient plot points and stories, about audiobooks, about changing up stories, and ninjas. And ninjas. And we talked about ninjas. Which are clearly the most important part. All right. So that's all the time we have this time. Um, if you have any comments about anything ludicrous that we've spoken about, please let us know. You can email us at contactus at sunlightpress.com or you can comment. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you really sold the contact us and you kind of threw away the comment thing. Just give the comment thing a little little harder effort. Or you can comment. (laughs) (laughs) 
And now, <laughs> now you've emphasized the wrong word. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Don't be a stranger, and we'll see you guys again next time. Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is brought to you each Thursday by the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation, makers of Fire King Oven Glass. Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures, all products of the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation. A great name in glass.